Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you so much for tuning in, and as always, for sharing our podcasts on social media. Um, Good topic today, discernment, uh, church issues. We will also talk about what's happening in the country and the world concerning um, the coronavirus and other things. is, Is this anything to do with Bible prophecy? We'll talk about that. And, um, well, just some, there's some good news coming up, but first let's open up in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us another opportunity to encourage the saints, to help equip people, to in, inform them and challenge them, Lord, to uh, cultivate a biblical and eternal perspective. No matter what's going on around us, um, nothing is new under the sun, and we ask that you'd give us wisdom one day at a time, that you would direct our steps, that we would trust in you with all of our hearts, and not lean on our own understanding. And we praise you that you are sovereign, you are in control, and you are a loving God and a faithful God. And we trust in you. The hope that we have can never perish, spoil, or fade away. And we thank you for the truth. Uh, We lift up this time to you today. We pray that you would uh, lead us by your Holy Spirit and encourage hearts that need to be encouraged and uh, use this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first, first, some good news before we get to today's guest. Um, where is it? So many papers here. Um, I went to see the movie I Still Believe over the weekend, the story of Jeremy Camp, and hey, Faith won at the box office. Uh, number one movie on Friday. It grossed around $4 million opening night, and over the weekend it did very, very well. It's about $9.5 million as far as uh, gross now, so I Still Believe uh, doing very well in theaters. And so, I don't know, I think some people are going to the movies instead of going to church, but that's, that's for another, <laughs> another topic. But yeah, so great, great opening for I Still Believe. Um, okay, so today's guest, it, it, we're excited to have him back. Originally from Australia, Cameron Butel is a graduate of the Master's Seminary. He currently works as a researcher and writer at Grace to You, and he is a deacon at Grace Community Church, where John MacArthur pastors. He's passionate about proclaiming the gospel and teaching others to do the same. Cameron currently lives in Santa Clarita with his Danish wife. I think uh, you're going to have to say her name. Majbrit? My Brit. My Brit. My Brit. Five children also. Louisa, Joseph, Teresa, Thomas, and Christina. Those were easy. So Cameron, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth, brother. Greetings from the left coast. (laughs) Did you say left or west? Left coast. Okay, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, now, first of all, just can you, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you fine. Um, out of curiosity, what are your thoughts on um, uh, a rare, not rare, but another Christian film opening up and doing very well at the box office? It's kind of an encouraging sign, no? Yeah, if it's a good movie, that's that's really encouraging. You know, we um, do. If you're going to do anything as a Christian, just do it well and be faithful to God's word. Amen. Amen. And good uh, true life story, heartbreaking story. I won't give it away in case you, you, people still want to go see it. The, the opening weekend is very important as far as what Hollywood and the media and critics perceive as opening numbers. But in the next uh, couple weeks, if you haven't seen the movie, friends, uh, check out I Still Believe. All right, Cameron. Um, first of all, we have had so much debate in the church about whether to go to church or not hold church during this um, concern about the spread of coronavirus. Where we are here in Wisconsin, northeast Wisconsin, there aren't any cases or that, that we know of. Um, not that it couldn't spread, and not that it couldn't spread rapidly, but as we said before we got on the air, we're thankful to live in the United States and not Italy. But tell us what's happening in Southern California. And you said even at Grace Community Church, which is a very large church, you did not have uh, the, the uh, services open to people. Could you just explain to us your thoughts and how that went? Um, yeah, well, they did the stream. Some people still came to church, um, but the elders earlier in the week had met and decided based on a 
we were still going to meet in a church until the um, recommendation became a mandate, uh, you know, a government-enforced thing where no gatherings more than 250 people. And so they uh, took the decision based on Romans 13 to submit to the government. I know some people are upset about that, but they decided that that was not a hill um, to die on. That was not a censoring of the gospel per se, but rather the the concern about the spread of a virus. Uh, mainly I'm relieved that it didn't happen before Shepherd's Conference. It would have been terrible if that happened. <laughs> but, you know, we... Um, it would be interesting, of course, if it was this was not in an era of the internet. <laughs> yes, but we had that option to live stream. But I know myself with with young kids, you know, we're we're urged very strongly not to bring our kids to church if they have a sickness that they're going to spread in the nursery or the Sunday school. So, um, you know, this isn't really. Um, it is shocking in the sense I don't think this has happened before, but uh, I I trust the elders on at grace church they're godly mm -hmm. men um and they're not um cultural cowards uh they just believe this was the right thing to do at this time i and i know that if it came down to a point where it came to obeying god rather than obeying man that they would stand on the right side of that as well but they didn't believe that this particular instance was that hill to die on and that's something that continues to be debated among um, christians uh, i see a lot of people um, understanding, hey, we're going to watch it online. Thank God we have modern technology. We can do that. But others take a very interesting approach, uh, as the disciples did when the government uh, said, do not—actually, the Jewish leaders said, do not teach and preach in the name of Jesus anymore. They said, we must obey God rather than men. And some people are jumping way ahead to the time that may or may not come, uh, Cameron, where government says, you cannot meet <laughs> anymore as a church, and, and we say, no, 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 we are going to meet, we are going to spread the go share the gospel. But how would you encourage other believers who um, go to churches that are more than 250 people, and these recommendations come down? Um, this is not a law, but yet it is. Uh, it's wise, and in light of the, sp the potential spread of this, um, we'll see how far it goes, but how would you encourage uh, people to just continue to just trust God in this and just use wisdom? Well, just what you said. I think understand that that this is just there's a concern about the spread of this. There's there is consequences. I think um, I think the hysteria is more dangerous than the virus itself. Yes, but. Um, you know, I, I think everything's being cancelled, and I'm just wondering if it's being cancelled so people can go and stand in line for toilet paper. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> We've not seen sure that. <laughs> what, I'm not sure, you know, what is going on. And, of course, it's not just here. In Australia, people are absolutely losing their minds over this. But I would, I would say this is a chance for Christians to shine. This is our chance to show that, you know, our hope is not in this world, that that we we trust a sovereign God and we know that He is in control and this is this is in, within His ordained plan and and that we have the gospel and we are to be salt and light witnesses. It's a chance for us to shine in a world that's melting down with panic. And that, exactly, we are, the ones who, we are the ones with composure, without fear, and we can meet. We can meet with brothers and sisters in smaller gatherings. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was if it was a recommendation, I think Grace Church would have met. But because it then became an order in our state, um, okay, we didn't. But they preached. MacArthur preached from Grace Church, and people showed up anyway and came in and heard him. But it was you know just a small gathering. Most people watched online. I think uh, with our Bible study, um, many of us gathered at one home uh, to watch it. So you know we can still gather. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just more that not more than two hundred and fifty people, and so. We believe this was a time to comply with that order, um, and, and so we did. And I think, you know, other people can do the same. Uh, certainly, if, if this drags on a very long time, um, may have to, I don't know, what would come to that. This is um, unprecedented in a way. I, I think in, you know, MacArthur pastoring at Grace 50 years, I think this is the first time this has happened. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I mean, but, uh, throughout yeah. history, we know uh, widespread epidemics have occurred. Uh, Middle Ages, an outbreak of plague in Europe, uh, Spanish flu during World War One, uh, millions of people died. Um, I want you to share your thoughts on something that I find to be fascinating, that, and that is the media in America, and even what is, quote, known as the, the conservative media, uh, whatever that is anymore, but they seem to be playing into the stoking the fears on this. And we forget that approximately 12,000 to 15,000 people die in the U.S. every year from the flu. And now all of a sudden they're taking all these sanitation measures and wash your hands, use all these different things. But I'm thinking, well, we don't hear that reported. So they're Cameron, there doesn't seem to be a perspective, a balanced perspective here, and the media is feeding this maybe to sell headlines or to get viewers. I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on that. I, I believe they're being irresponsible, and they're not sharing the whole story, because as of now, I think we're in the low 40s as far as deaths in the United States. I could be off because I haven't heard uh, watched the news yesterday, but it was 41 deaths nationwide. And here in that, in, in just one day, you have 130 uh, flu deaths. So I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I, living in America has been an interesting thing. And whatever <laughs> you think of Trump, what it has been at least is very revealing as to the um, just unconscionable evil of the leftist media. Mm -hmm. That's right. They have, they, it, it's just been um, howling opposition to everything they there, there's nothing objective it's not the media was supposed to be reporting of facts they are catechizing trying to catechize us with their own with their own worldview mm -hmm. and this here is just I, I think this just shows how sick they are it seems like they have a scorched earth policy that if they can leverage anything to blame trump or just to cause hysteria uh even better and so I, it just seems to me that's what's going on. I mean, the hysteria that I heard someone the other day say that that this is Trump's Chernobyl yeah. on the mainstream media. And I I'm heard like, that. <laughs> get a grip. That is wrong on so many levels. Yes. As you if know, it, Chernobyl uh, was man-made. This isn't. And also, you know, this this does not. How is he responsible for that? How? You know, and, and then show leadership. And take it seriously and that like well people who t who are calm are obviously not taking it seriously enough what they're saying is we should just all be panicking like everybody else uh, just because someone is calm doesn't mean they're not taking it seriously um, the, the the right thing to do now is to call for calm like you said the stats you read um, we should be serious about it but mm -hmm. we don't need to lose the plot Exactly. And I just want to quote A.W. Tozier, who said, A scared world needs a fearless church. We're speaking with Cameron Butel. He's from Grace Community Church in Southern California, and he was kind enough to get up with us today and share his thoughts on just what's happening in our country, our culture. And um, interesting, too, that I think they might, they might be wanting this one-world government and maybe the media doesn't even know they're pushing for that. But when they're they're kind of, you know, blaming the president, which is interesting. And here's another thing I wanted to ask you, Cameron. Facing this pandemic, President Trump, whatever you know about his, whether he came to the Lord or whether he's a Christian or not, um, whatever you know, you know, we will know by his fruit and his policies and his speech and everything else. But he declared yesterday to be a national day of prayer. We had Christians proclaiming Christians and some people who are, quote, never Trumpers, just criticizing him harshly for that, calling him a hypocrite and saying, you know, he just how can a president do that? You know, what, what is prayer going to do? And it just seems like I know we're divided politically, but my goodness, when the church is divided over this as well, I just shake my head and go, well, Lord, please, please intervene. What are your thoughts on that, Cameron? Well, you know, it's something we, we should be praying for Every whether day. there's a national day of prayer or not um but if he calls for that then you know he what well, I, I i don't believe he is a christian um but i do think that that you know he at least 
uh, he, you know, he's not trying to. Um, he, 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 I think, like Benjamin Franklin, who lo- who loved George Whitfield, I think Trump seems to like Christian and see that the Christian worldview is at least a, the world is a better place when the Christian worldview is operating. Yes, and one of those things that we that we pray and seek God intervene for us mm-hmm. um, on our behalf. Uh, so I, I have no problem with him calling for that. I, the problem I have is people who are moaning about it. Yeah. Um, and their selective outrage, you know, I noticed that it seems to be, well, we'll get angry at some people for it and we won't say boo about others. Yes. You know, previous elected officials and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I, I, what what we've learned from the last three years is it's not worth paying much attention to the media, the mainstream media. Exactly. They're about as they're about as useful as an ashtray on a motorbike. <laughs> That's funny. Our our uh, board operator here, uh, Spike, he he uh, drives a Harley, and so he got a big kick out of that one, Cameron. Thank you. Um, also, we don't hear perspective because if people will remember during the Obama administration. Their response to the 2009-2010 swine flu outbreak, it took President Obama four months to declare a national emergency. And that was only after the the death toll in America reached 1,000 people, 1,000. And here we have somewhere in the low 40s of, of deaths in America, still bad. Every death is tragic. But when you look at the comparison of how the media handled it, it is infuriating. And, of course, that ended up to be infecting millions of Americans, and I believe about 12,000 died from that swine flu. Media doesn't touch on that or make that fair comparison. But I I came across this list of six critical ways church leaders should help prepare uh, their people. First, don't feed into the panic. Be discerning and make adjustments to church weekend experiences. We can have that now. Uh, Stay updated. Keep your people updated. Focus on being present online. Pray for health and safety, not just on Sunday, but every day. And then lead the call to faith. Cameron, this is an opportunity for Christians to share the gospel as more people think about really our mortality and the fact that we are susceptible to illness. You know, it's interesting. I was just reading... um John Owen, uh, um, John Owen's The Glory of Christ, and they had a um, biography of him at the front of the book. And one of the interesting sections reading was about during the bubonic plague um, and how these Puritan ministers, when when all the um, you know all the government people, everyone freaked out and fled the cities, uh, but the Puritan ministers stayed behind to minister the gospel to the people who were suffering in this, just their fearlessness and courage. And just what an amazing uh, and profound show of faith and courage they were. And and um, we should be the same. We are the ones who, this is a chance for us to shine. We Amen. should shine in this hour. That's right. That's right. And, and so I think, you know, we, we should be faithful to the gospel. We should be wise, but we should be faithful in our gospel pro- proclamation. We should be um, obedient to Christ. I don't think that means we have to, you know, we should disobey the gov- every directive from the government, but rather when it comes to a point like, you know, the thing you cited in Acts chapter 4 where they were forbidden from preaching Christ, that was a directive that they could not preach the gospel anymore. And that was the time when the line was crossed and they yes. said, you know, we would rather obey God than man. Yes. When it comes to that point, yeah, we have to. Be bold in that, you know. There's every chance that some stage in our lifetime, if we are faithful to Christ, it it could mean that we go to prison. Yes. Um, that that's that's a real possibility. It's certainly not something I cherish or want, but I just have to realize that that, that could happen. Um, church history suggests that, and and the 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 peace and freedom we. You know, I'm not from America, but I really I, I love the the freedom of speech here. Yes, but I also realize that's an aberration on history. That's we, we mm. tend tend to think that that's the norm. This is a this is not how it's been for most of church history. Exactly, and so it, we we take advantage of that while that's available. So the opportunity is there to lead both in just that we have the peace of God, knowing that we worship a sovereign God. And also that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the message 
of reconciliation with God. You know, I'm thinking about um, Luke 13 at the moment. Um, I'll just, just, can I just read um, the first five verses of Luke 13? Absolutely. Um, now, this is um, during Christ's ministry, and on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And the context there, if you read in the previous chapter, is on eternal life. Yes. You know, he's warning about hell in the previous chapter. So the context there is to be condemned. And, and, and what Jesus is saying there to people who panic about these things is, you know, you're asking the wrong questions, you're concerned about the wrong things. The lesson is that we will all die one day and we need to repent. <laughs> we need to repent and turn to Christ. Yes. Amen. You see one example there, basically implicit questions in there on the um, the Galileans who were frowned upon by the Jews. Basically, the implicit question is there, why do bad things happen to bad people? <laughs> but then with the Tower of Siloam, um, on the, the, the Jewish, the religious Jews who it collapsed on, why do bad things happen to good people? And Jesus comes in and says that that's the wrong question. The real question is, why do good things happen to bad people? <laughs> yes. And, and that's those who repent. And, and so take the lesson from that. Rather than trying to break down 9-11 or coronavirus or why these things are happening, or is this fulfilling some prophecy, uh, I mean, I find it difficult to hold the newspaper in one hand and revelation in the other. But what I would say is that it should just inflame our message to preach repentance, to call people to repentance from sin, because whether they perish from coronavirus or some other man-made disaster, if they do not repent, they will eternally perish. Amen. Thank you so much uh, for quoting that, Luke 13, 1 through 5. Excellent perspective. I was thinking about that this morning. We will be right back with Cameron Butel with Grace to You. We're going to talk about Bethel Church and their, uh, their upcoming Dream Life School of Interpretation on Stand Up for the Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up for the Truth with David Fiorazzo. We've got on the line Cameron Butel with Grace to You out in Southern California and uh, talking about uh, we're going to get to Bethel Church and their upcoming, I guess, the school that helps people interpret dreams, and I don't really get it, but we're talking about discernment issues in the Church. But first of all, to, to continue our conversation about Luke 13 and the idea that you called it karma theology, uh, some, you I mean, in other words, we get what we deserve and it's because of us and our... People think, there are some people that think things like the coronavirus are God's judgment on America. I, lo- I would love your quick thoughts on that, Cameron. Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, we, what, we, it's, it's kind of like an irrelevant question in a way, because if, if, if we really knew the Word of God, we would know that the, the rampant homosexual agenda going on in America right now and gender confusion agenda is the judgment of God. Romans 1 tells us that, that mm. this is the manifestation of God's wrath is when society goes in that direction. And you see at the end of Romans 1, you know, um, it says, uh, let me find it. Uh, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a de- depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, on and on it goes. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Mm. Is that not a description of today? Yes. You not only have to tolerate it, you have to applaud. Mm -hmm. You have to say that this is righteousness. And, and, And that whole passage begins with, you know, that that. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. 
So that is the revelation of God's judgment right there. Mm. So it is happening. We know that. <laughs> yes. And, and that should just increase our urgency calling sinners to repentance. Thank you for giving us a little clarity on that. And I do want to say one of the best sermons on that topic I have ever heard was from Pastor John MacArthur called We Will Not Bow. He did that shortly after the Supreme Court decided to redefine God-ordained marriage and removed all the uh, same-sex marriage bans across the country. Well, that's a phenomenal sermon. If you guys want to look it up, We Will Not Bow. So I, I appreciate pastors and church leaders who have— I'll, who I'll have, agree with that. that. That's a great sermon. Yep. Yeah. Those who have taken a stand on these issues, uh, how to you know, understand the cultural battles over, quote, social issues, they are moral issues. But uh, Cameron, let's move on to Bethel Church now. Um, I want to quote your pastor again, uh, talking about what the greatest threat to the church is today. Uh, many leaders think it's a lack of discernment, uh, separating truth from error. And John MacArthur said many Christians aren't equipped to discern truth from error because their pastors and leaders have not taught the Bible and modeled serious faithful study in today's politically correct, market-driven evangelical environment, emphasizing doctrinal precision is unfashionable or even considered divisive and unloving. So now we go to a church who's got dramatic influence on Christianity in America and the world through their worship music, and that we can have a whole conversation about the type of worship. Some of it is just not so biblical, but they are having, Bethel Church is having a dream life school of interpretation this coming weekend, I believe. Would love to get your thoughts on that. I, I can't find a whole lot in the Bible. I think of Daniel having dreams and visions in the Old Testament, but where are we given instruction in the Bible on learning how to interpret interpret dreams or going to a school to, to do this. Uh, Cameron, how many scriptures are, are there about that? What are your thoughts? I think it's in the book of Megaliah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. it's, it's not there. Yeah. You know, we, we can bring out the old ashtray on the motorbike quote again, you know. <laughs> it's, look, don't waste your time with Bethel. Bill, um, Bill Johnson many times has explicitly denied the sovereignty of God. The God Bill Johnson worships is not sovereign. He is an idol. So first of all, you're, you're worshiping the wrong God. If you go there. And the other thing is they, they, the two cardinal doctrines on God and man, they get wrong. They also, his son, Eric Johnson, is on the record, and I've quoted him in the blog at Grace to You, affirming full-blown Pelagianism, that our, our all the, he, Eric Johnson is on the record saying all theology needs to start with the presuppo presupposition that people are fundamentally good. Oh, boy. They need to do good. Not just believers, unbelievers as well. So, I mean, I, you can just look at that. and just If you get those things wrong, you're going to get everything wrong. Everything wrong. Hmm. And so... Just any parents who want whose kids want to go there because it's kind of like a pilgrimage for many people with a charismatic from a charismatic church. Uh, just don't, just don't go there. This is a bad place, and this is just wackiness. Everything they do hmm. is wackiness, and also based, you know, it's mysticism because experience trumps God's word every yes. time with everything they do. Experience and feelings, and yes, yes. Now, uh, one thing I do uh, want to say. You know, Go ahead. And, and just, just, just on that, mm -hmm. you get your doctrine of man wrong. That's a that's a manifestation of getting your doctrine of man wrong, isn't it? Because we can trust what we feel and what we sense over what God has said. When that takes precedence, that's showing your hand, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yes. What we really believe about the nature of man and the nature of God's word. So you can you can have a doctrine statement that says you believe the word of God, but they don't. Oh, Lord. Their pants um, are on fire. There's so much to get into here. Now, we know um, while God sometimes gives dreams and, and visions, I mean, we hear current stories, testimonies of Muslims who had been uh, in heavily into Islam, and they get a dream or a vision of Jesus. Some have been saved from that. But that there's nothing really in the Bible encouraging us to look into interpretation. How it's it's like it's a spiritual gift. It's not a spiritual gift. It's a supernatural, and there's no indication that dream interpretation 
as this school is going to, I guess, teach this weekend, is something that God wants us to focus on. And you made an excellent point. It's about the experiential. It's about how we feel. And I also want to get your take on just simple praying. People in charismatic churches, I mean, any church, really, they some people like shake a little bit when they pray. Um, maybe they mean well. I don't know. I can't say that's of God or not of God. But just watch how people do react to all these things. And uh, what are your thoughts on these spiritual gifts and prayer and seeking the Holy Spirit? And, boy, it can get so far from God's Word quickly, can't it? Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I, you know, it's hard to say with so many of those things. But certainly there's um, disturbing parallels between a lot of the manifestations and actions that they do and, you know, pagan religions in India, how they, the euphoric states that they bring themselves into um, during some of their pagan, I think, Hindu uh, worship. I've seen, you know, people have showed me things like that. I know Justin Peters has um, talked to me about that. And, you know, I, I, I certainly, I can see that. I, but I, I concrete thing I get back to again is that that experience trumps God's word. And really, they're not interested in what the Bible says. They're interested in how they feel about things and it, it's of course you're going to get different impressions from every different person so it's not going to help someone it's not going to be concrete i know during strange fire i um, prepared something for phil and i was talking about mike bickle's odds the guy who pastors ihop mm-hmm. um, which is like almost a sister church to bethel in reading in kansas city and and bickle said bickle started I, I found in different places he never did this in one place but i found in different places him discussing the odds and I worked at the odds were minuscule of getting these things right with prophecy. He was basically saying that um, that people, you know, that eighty percent of prophecies are wrong. Wow! And then he said, <laughs> and then he said, but then he said um, in another place he said one of the biggest problems is with interpretation, and he said most, you know, most interpretations are wrong too. So we're starting with 20% correct, and then of that 20%, only a small fraction of that 20% is right in the interpretation. Hmm. And then he said another place that the application, that most people get the application wrong. So by the time you're down to some small percentage, and you've got a small percentage of the small percentage, and and I I hope I'm not losing the listeners here. I don't mean to get complicated. The point (laughs) being that the odds are so small of getting it right. What help is that? When we have a sure word, and not only that, the Bible says, you know, as Paul says, that God's chosen means is the foolishness of preaching. Mm, Yes. And, you know, we can talk about people being saved from this or that or the other. All I know is what the Bible tells me is God's chosen means is the preaching of the gospel, and that is what I concern myself with. Amen. The preaching of the word, yeah, excellent points you make. And there's so many church, big churches that are growing, and I think uh, people are drawn to them, Cameron, because it gives them something that they can do physically, or they how they can feel better. And that's there's nothing really that's you can get into works, you can get into this this mentality that uh, well, if I don't feel the goosebumps, maybe the Holy Spirit's not moving, and that's that's really not something that's that's scriptural. Um, so from, from well, here's a question go ahead. too, just on that. Yes. Um, how, you know, when we, we talk about prophecy, we talk about you know, is this some end times thing? Um, I, I I'm reluctant to go down that road, but one thing that's clear from Revelation is that how will the Antichrist deceive people in the last days through signs and wonders? Hmm. So signs yes. and wonders may be a sign that it's satanic. We that's where we see. Signs and wonders. Where do we see signs and wonders reappearing in the in the story in the in the church history? It's at the appearance of the the Antichrist. Wow. So um, again, you know, you want to be careful. If if that's your litmus test of something is from God or not, you, you're getting it all back to front. Yeah, exactly. Oh Lord, give us discernment in our churches, please. Um, uh, we are so disappointed, and is this one reason, I think of Ephesians chapter 4, where pastors and teachers and, and leaders are supposed to equip the saints for work of ministry, and it says, and uh, Barna came out with this research 
uh, a month ago, church membership is falling and um, church hopping is gaining popularity. What Church hopping, that means you're not satisfied with one church or you find something wrong with it, so you hop over to the next one. And I think a lot of people are looking for not entertainment, but they're used to seeing worship a certain way, feeling good about a certain service. What do you think about this? Uh, the, the fact that membership seems to be declining, but people are church hopping? Yeah, well, again, I, I, I'm going to try it again, but I think Barna statistics are also a bit of an ashtray on a motorbike. Because, <laughs> yeah, they got a statistic you know, on everything. Well, he sets a very low bar for what is a Christian and what is a church. Good point. And so it's very hard to get an accurate picture mm. from that, because a lot of that is just going to be bad churches or unfaithful places. Um, I don't think that problem is so pervasive among God's people in healthy churches. But there are people who, yeah, they they have a consumer mindset in their church search, and um, you're not going to find the perfect church. You know, I, I did find the perfect church once, and then I started going there, and that was the end of that. <laughs> and all of us could say the same thing. So, you know, um, obviously, um, and, and we have resources on our website talking about what to look for in a church, but, you know, sometimes, you know, um, even just things like uh, music styles and so on, you know, people are really taking a consumer mindset into those things. Um, I lived in Denmark for a number of years where we had to plant a church because we could not find a church anywhere that preached the gospel. Wow. So, you know, I mean, I can just say, well, look, if this church is, a, you know, they're not going to get everything right or please you in every way. Be thankful that you, there is a gospel witness there <laughs> and serve faithfully there. Um, it's We shouldn't, we are not the, um, we shouldn't take a mindset of, I have to be pleased, you know, like, please me, jump through my hoops, meet my requirements. Hmm. I mean, obviously we should have some requirements and they should be biblical requirements, but the way, you know, some people talk, I can see there's two ditches, you know. There are those who really cannot find a sound church in the area, and they'll have to take some drastic action, either planting or moving closer or making a long drive every Sunday. But then there are others who always find something wrong with the church they're at and eventually give up and would rather just become cyber church people because no nowhere meets their requirements. And, uh, you know, we have we have encountered that when we've written blogs on those things in the comments. Read, we've encountered uh, both sides of that. So um, I would encourage people to, to just go online, our website, or uh, and look at, you know, things that make a healthy church. But first and foremost, I think that just faithful in their gospel proclamation, they preach the gospel rightly. They present God rightly. They present people rightly, man as sinners, they they warn of judgment. Mm. They preach Christ's penal substitutionary work, his his fulfillment of the law on our behalf, and his uh, suffering under the wrath of God on behalf of in in the place of our uh, as a substitute for our sins. Uh, his his resurrection uh, and the call on all sinners to repent and believe. Mm. Uh, you know, you want to go to a place where they do church discipline, according to Matthew eighteen. Mm. where baptism and communion are, are rightly done and where it's it's led by um, godly elders in a, in accordance with first Timothy 3 and Titus 1 I mean those are those are things that where I'm going to be rigid on I'm going to be a lot more flexible on a lot of other subjective things mm. but there is um, I think part of it is just that um, we know we think the grass is greener on the other side. Uh, Cameron, uh, we've run out of time. California. What's that? From California, when when the grass is greener on the other side in California, you can bet it's astroturf. <laughs> That's good. Hey, this is so important. What you just shared. Are you able to squeeze out a couple more minutes with us? Yeah. Because we're up against sure. a break. We've got to take a break. But what you just shared, you rattled off six or seven things, what I believe are healthy and godly requirements, biblical requirements for a good church. And I I think a lot of them, 
I've seen a lot of churches just not make those priorities. So when we come back, a little bit more with Cameron Butel from Grace to You, and we'll be right back on Stand Up for the Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up for the Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're speaking with Cameron Butel with Grace to You out in Southern California, and we... Um, encouraged you to stay on the line with us a little bit longer, Cameron, because I believe it's so important. We get a lot of emails from listeners asking about, you know, what what does a healthy church look like? How can we find, how do we know when we find a good church or what should we look for? And you you didn't talk fast, but you, you rattled off those important points. I think there were about seven of them. And in that list, I'm I was a little disheartened because I thought, man, I've I've done a lot of traveling, been in hundreds of churches, and a lot of churches just don't make those at least three or four or five of those a priority when it comes to teaching. Could you please share with us what your thoughts are on the first, maybe the the top three out of those essentials that you just shared with us? Maybe they're not top three. Maybe I think all of them have to be included in teaching and accurately handling the word of truth. Yeah, well, I think uh, there's not like a top three there. I think, you know, these are things that define a church. Uh, and and uh, the, I think it's the Heidelberg, um, the Heidelberg Catechism um, speaks about this, about what is a true church and what isn't a true church. Even the Reformers um, were thinking intently about this. Hmm. But as I said before, that... Um, a church, you know, that it's, well, I suppose that the Bible is preeminent, that a belief in the Word of God, and I know everyone says they believe in the Word of God, but it's handled, um, interpreted in its true sense, so the the Scripture drives the preaching. You know, as someone who handles the Word, so he's interested in what God says, not projecting his own ideas into a text or using passages of text to support his agenda, but rather trying to interpret and handle the Word of God, 2 Timothy 2.15, one who rightly divides the Word of truth. And so we want to know what God is saying and then to read the text and then explain that text. And and verse-by-verse exposition is a good safeguard, I think. I'm not saying this isn't a requirement, but why it's good is because it forces the preacher to deal with everything, not just the parts he wants to deal with. He has. He can't avoid the difficult passages. He has to go through them, and uh, also, if 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 you do that, uh, that protects the congregation from themselves as well. So you know, hmm. someone comes in and can say, "Well, he was that sermon. He was preaching that because of me. He was just having a go at me." And then someone can say, "Well, no, this is just where he was up to from last week." <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think it protects us. It helps us to know rather than to just know pet verses. John 3.16, a great example. Most people know John 3.16. They don't know John 3. You mean the, the whole chapter in, in context, you mean? Yeah, well, they'd be shocked at what else, you know, is said in there. Mm-hmm. This is the condemnation that men love darkness and hate the light and will not come to the light because it will expose their evil deeds. Mm. That follows just hot on the heels of, of John 3.16. Um, he who believes has eternal life, he, he who does not obey, the wrath of God abides on him. I mean, there's there's a warning there, and Jesus explains why he doesn't condemn people, because they're already condemned. You know, I did not come to condemn. I mean, people love that, but they don't realize he said that because the world is already condemned. (laughs) And so, just as an example, say, we we must handle the Word of God. We must preach it rightly, and and, and that is helpful. Moving through the text like MacArthur has for 50 years... um, (laughs) I mean, it's not rocket science what he does. No. <laughs> it really isn't. He he just moves through verse by verse. He reads the text. He explains the text. He tries to understand it. He's not interested in himself or what he thinks. He's interested in what God is saying mm. and trying best to convey that. That's There's no secret source. That's it. That's what he does. And I think it's too simple for people to even believe it could be that simple, and I have to come up with something fancier. Yeah. And you don't. But yes, the, the word rightly preached, the gospel rightly proclaimed. So understanding the character of God, presenting God rightly. You know, it's interesting that there's the first two commandments. The first commandment is that, you know, we shall worship God alone. There's only one God. 
But the second commandment is that we shall have no idols. Mm. And, and you can wonder, why isn't the second commandment redundant? You know, because doesn't the first one cover the second? No, because look at the golden calf. That was Aaron said, behold, Israel, the God who brought you out of Egypt. Mm. In other words, it's a prohibition of even making the one true God into an image that fits your preferences. Oh, man, we see so, so much just, of that. Yeah, and so defining God wrongly, we need to define him rightly according to his attributes as he has presented himself. God defines himself. We don't get to do that. Now, in the beginning, God made man in his image, and ever since then, man's been trying to return the favor. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I think C.S. Lewis said that, right? I'm not sure if he did or not, but yeah, that... that we cannot fashion God according to our preferences. That's what Bill Johnson is doing. Mm -hmm. He's defining the God of the Bible in his own terms. So we want to present God rightly and man rightly, that, 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 that our condition is sinful, that we, in a therapeutic society, this is the pill that's too hard to swallow for many people, that we are fundamentally bad. Mm. The heart is wicked you know, and deceitful. Yes, and so we we have to agree with God about ourselves. You know, the thief on the cross, he got it. I'm getting what I deserve. <laughs> hmm. And so grace is unmerited favor. And if you've got an entitlement society, <laughs> then they're not going to understand that, that we don't deserve it. You know, that's just the place we've got to start at, is that we're fallen, we're sinful, we deserve the wrath of God. If he was to send me to hell right now, I'm getting what I deserve. So we understand in the preaching of the gospel, we, we present God rightly, we present man rightly, we warn of judgment, because Jesus did, yes. and we preach Christ's work, both his life in fulfilling the law on behalf of people who have broken the law, and then dying on the cross, suffering the wrath of God as a substitute for sinners, suffering the wrath that we deserve, mm. rising from the dead, proving that God was satisfied with that payment. And now, uh, based on that truth, calling sinners to repentance and faith, uh, we, we see that, that we want that gospel faithfully preached. And also, if you preach verse by verse, well, guess what? You're going to come to Matthew 18, which is going to tell you to do stuff that you probably don't want to do, and that is church discipline. Confront, confront error, confront sin. Well, well yeah, one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. then bringing a witness, then before the church, um, you know, that's something that people don't want to do, and yet we're commanded um, to do that because otherwise the church stops being the church. Exactly. The church, you know, Stephen Furtick is on the record saying that their church is for unbelievers, and that's just so laughable because he doesn't even understand the meaning of ecclesia, the called out ones, the separate ones. Yes. We are a called out and separate people, and that's why church discipline is important because. We need to be able to distinguish between the world and God's people. There needs to be a clear line of distinction. And if the church is like the world, well, then guess what? It's not a church. <laughs> Amen. Because a separate people called out, called out ones. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we, we are commanded to baptize. We are commanded to do the Lord's table in remembrance of Christ until he returns. And we should... Um, we should have a plural recognizing human depravity. We should have a plurality of elders, more than one elder, um, uh, to lead the congregation. Uh, appoint elders, as, as it says there, and then the qualifications for elder we find hmm. in uh, in First Timothy three, Titus one, and, and you'll note there that they're all men, <laughs> uh, which which is a, just a good maybe a segue into. Beth Moore. Uh oh, yeah. She's not qualified. <laughs> Did God really mean men, though? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well, I, you know, hus husband of one wife makes it pretty plain. Yes, um, it does. Also, the fact that 1 Timothy 3 is preceded by 1 Timothy 2, where it, <laughs> it says that a woman is not to usurp authority over a man. And people can say the context is what matters. Well, the context there was Adam and Eve. So it's universal. Interesting. It be more universal than that. Context matters. And we talked earlier about this because the Southern Baptist Convention is now there. There's some infighting going on over women 
teachers and preachers. And we heard a while back, I think last year, what Pastor John MacArthur said about this. But I do want to make one point, or actually share this quote based on what you said earlier. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, Worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. And I think you made a good point in saying that even pastors, but not just pastors, but congregations, when we hear Scripture or a teaching or read God's Word, we should not ask, what does this mean to me and how do I feel about it? We should ask, what did God mean when he said it? And I I love, I think, I'll share your final thought on this. We've got a minute left, Cameron. Well, yeah, God, what does God mean? That's what matters. What does God mean by what he says? And the the answer can be found normally in Scripture. The, The kindness of God is demonstrating the fact that he's made his word accessible that most fundamental truths we can understand plainly from what he said. He has chosen to communicate us to us through his word, to reveal himself to us through his word and give us an objective standard, not a bunch of opinions, but what he has said. And we can take him at his word. He is not a man that he should lie. Mm. All his promises are yes and amen. Mm. Everything he says is true. And... That's always been the case. There's never been anything happened throughout history that has disproven any single promise or statement God has made in his word. And that includes from the very first chapter. Amen. Context, context, context. Cameron Butel, grace to you. Thank you so much for spending the, the hour with us, and we appreciate your insight and just sharing the importance of coming back to the Word of God and let Scripture be our guide, handling God's Word accurately, because all of Scripture is inspired and useful for teaching, correction, correction, training, and righteousness. God bless you, brother. Thank you again. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure being on. I'll talk to you hopefully sooner next time. <laughs> all right. Okay. See ya. Bye. Oh, Cameron Patel, grace to you. Um, a lot of uh, guests coming up this week uh, I'm excited to tell you about, including uh, we just added something to Friday, which we weren't planning on. More when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, uh, so much to get to, and we just... It, things go by so fast here sometimes uh, when you're having fun, as as Cameron said. But he shared just some powerful truths that I think we need to come back to context and teaching the Word of God, equipping the saints for ministry, not just so we can have head knowledge, but so we can apply it and discern. Tomorrow, Julaine Appling, a, an update from her in Wisconsin Family Council, what's happening in Wisconsin. Um, Wednesday, Mike Jenrin proclaiming the gospel um, Bill Perkins, first-time guest on Thursday. He's with Compass International. I've got a couple of his books and just phenomenal ministry, Stealing the Mind Conference. We'll be talking about that with Bill Perkins. And then Friday, we were going to do a news and reviews and commentary store, uh, um, podcast, but we have to have Pastor Randy White on. Uh, we're going to talk about what's going on in the country when, when government is growing and uh, some policies here that we're concerned about, the coronavirus, how... They will use this crisis, maybe, if we're not careful. So that's Pastor Randy White on Friday. Thanks for listening. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.